Why don't you just take a seat right now and keep your eyes closed and connected to this really important moment. Because I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to more than just me when I say we've tried at times different things to bring satisfaction, to bring fulfillment, in some cases to bring life into our otherwise kind of emptiness. And yet the truth is, it's, it's all of you wanting all of me, Lord Jesus. You even told your disciples the, the last night you were with them, apart from me, you can do nothing. I stood here today, Lord, singing to you, and you, you gave me a sense that this is way more than song. This is about searching your heart, Steve. Am I having my whole way with you? Not just my mind, not just my heart, not just my feet, not just my hands as we just sang about, but but all of you and all of me. It's not making room for you. It's not. It's declaring an end to me and saying I want all of you instead of me. Thank you for people like Paul, the apostle, who with all the cred he had, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is not about me anymore. But what you see, the life I now live in the flesh, it's directed by someone else. I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And I pray in response that that would be my mission and purpose statement every day that I have left to live it all for you because apart from you I can do nothing and all God's people said amen amen good morning church good morning uh, bye bye kids <laughs> they have a great thing back there Miss Becky's waiting for them and it's going to be a really sweet time there and we have a fun surprise in here, and I refer to people in the house and those of you who are with us in your house, um, live streaming this morning um, at the end of our time together today. Um, some people that um, I didn't meet until this morning, and uh, I knew about them and had some connection and uh, involvement, I guess you could say, in their lives and they in mine, but uh, I'll, I'll quit speaking or I'll give away the secret and you'll pack up your Bibles and go home, right? Yeah. So um, how many of you have been doing silly things this time of year like watching football? <laughs> and we have those uh, of, of us who are beaver believers, we have lots to be happy about. And for the other team that's a little further south of there... Uh, you duck people, okay, I, I know there's lots to be proud of in this state, uh, football-wise anyway. 
Um, Debbie and I, last Monday night, um, we, <laughs> we watched our Raiders on TV. <laughs> All right, take a hand and let's bow for prayer right now. Just, just do it, okay? Uh, we, we watched them lose by one point to their rival, the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, I won't tell you what I prayed uh, in that game for chief people, <laughs> but um, I sat there, a pathetic picture of a, of a pastor at times. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm agitated, I'm, I'm doubtful, I had no faith whatsoever that it would turn out well, and see, it, it didn't, okay, so there you go, but um, I... Um, I was consumed, uh, it struck me in the moment, and I've thought more about it since then, uh, especially with the text that's in front of us, but I was consumed with the fickle feelings toward, I'll just say it, I won't say his name, but our quarterback, all right? So I'm, I'm a, I grew up in San Leandro, they shared a border with Oakland, which is where the Raiders belong still, but anyway, I won't get lost on that. They've uh, bounced around, and, um, and they're in Las Vegas today. But um, I grew up in uh, San Leandro, so I grew up uh, rooting for a championship team every year. Everybody feared us. Um, and then along the way, things changed, and we've been struggling ever since. Why do I tell you all that? Because on Monday night, I... I I actually was surprised. Debbie says, are you ready for the big game? And I went, what game? And she thought, the faithless among us right here, you know. And, and so we watched the game. And the quarterback, I was fickle throughout the game uh, in my feelings toward the quarterback. I mean, literally one minute, I'm like, he hits a couple of good passes. I'm like, he is the man right there. And then he blows it. And I'm like, trade the bum. Just... Just replace him now with some local high school quarterback. We'll do better than we're doing now. I mean, I was all over the page. Enough about football. It got me thinking as the week unfolded about my life as a pastor. And uh, anybody that's been in, uh, in, in ministry, um, labored, in fact, not just a couple of weeks or months, but a lot of years in ministry, uh, you can relate. You really can. Uh, it, it explains my parting counsel from my mentor in California who said, Steve, one Sunday does not make for a great, you know, you, you knock it out of the park to change metaphors to baseball, and people will think that's the greatest sermon I've ever heard. That does not mean you're the greatest pastor that's ever preached, Okay. Uh, we would say in baseball, lucky swing, right? But he said the same in the reverse. You bomb one Sunday and half the church is sound asleep? <laughs> I will be watching you today, folks. Uh, so I'll, by the way, I'm just going to call them out. The people behind the polls, I know why you sit behind the polls. I know. I know. But anyway... Um, we have snore meters over there, so we, we've got you, we, and Jesus knows who you are. But anyway, um, here's the deal. Um, the counsel I was given is that one day you'll be loved by, 
by many, and another, another uh, somebody leaves. And here's the deal. Sometimes, actually, if you're honest with yourself, pastors, you, you know why they left. You gave them good reason to leave. Okay? Uh, but either way, they vanish without word, and they leave no trace. Now, I'm just confessing that to you. I have no point in uh, pointing anybody out. I'm telling you about uh, a reality that tests my sermon today. You know this. If you're not new, let me just quickly tell you. I don't preach to you. I'm preaching to me. I actually follow Ezra 7.10. Ezra studied the Word of God. He put it in play in his own life, my paraphrase, and then he told others about it, okay? That's what I do. You have my word, and that means sometimes um, I, I, uh, if it feels like, wow, he's having a cathartic moment, this is really uh, deep to him, it is true. It's very deep, or you don't, I have no business telling you about it, okay? Enough of that. So I wanted you to know that because Acts 14 is going to take us a place that I've been, and I've been there plenty, and the apostles are going to be there in front of us, and obviously the takeaway is that you too might, if you haven't already, experience much of the same. Acts 14, if you haven't turned there already, would you find your way to that passage in the New Testament? There's Bibles tucked underneath the chair in front of you here in the house, and grab one at home or your your, uh, your app or whatever, however you look at the Word of God, and I hope it's frequently. Um, Acts chapter 14 in the book, the larger title, Acts of the Apostles. Um, and I want us to take in this morning and um, what happened to Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Can I say it this way? They're rookies. They're rookies. How many of you have been on more than one missionary journey? Oh, a few. How many have been on just one? A bunch more hands. Okay. If you went back, you'd be better the second time because you were a rookie the first time. They are a rookie, finishing the first of four missionary journeys. The last one, they lost their lives. But anyway, uh, you get the idea here. They started out like everybody starts out. And we're going to read how fickle the folks were, uh, like a fickle fan that I was this last week. Um, In this study today, I'm titling, very personally, Love, Hate. Love and Hate. So let me quickly jump back to chapter 13 for just a second, because a couple of weeks ago we were there. And it's important to frame it a little bit here. Paul and Barnabas had traveled to ancient uh, Antioch of Pisidia, not Antioch of Syria, which was north of Jerusalem. But this is mid-Turkey, modern-day Turkey, okay? So Pisidia is in what we would call central Turkey. And they spent, last time we were together in chapter 13, they spent uh, exactly two Sabbaths there. Um, On the first Sabbath, they went to the synagogue where it was magic. They were warmly received. In fact, Paul gives a, like a, like a 30 verse sermon 
to these people on that first visit. And people are just like, get, give, me, give me a piece of paper. i got to write this down. That's so good. They're like, well, this is really solid stuff. And, uh, and, and, he, and it, his message ends late in that chapter, chapter four, or verse 43. Some of them, in fact, were so impressed by him that they begged him to come the next Sunday or Sabbath and you can see that in verse 42. As Paul and Bartimaeus were leaving the synagogue the first Sunday, or Saturday as it were, the people invited them to speak further about these things next week. Hey, tell me you're not leaving town. You're going to be back again next week. That was sort of the sentiment of verse 42, which they did. Look down at verse 44. The next Sabbath, which is sunset Friday night, sunset Saturday night, that's Sabbath, doesn't quite fit exactly into a day we call like uh, the Lord's Day today. We call Sunday that. Okay, verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Not to get autographs, to hear again and maybe more from what they sank their teeth into just a week earlier. I'm going to just call this what I think it was. It was standing room only. These synagogues couldn't, couldn't house thousands. And that meant you just had to peek anywhere. It'd be like today, people saying, open the window so we can hear. Okay? And that's what we have here. But like waking up from a bad dream. Anybody had one of those anytime recently, a bad dream? Okay. Um, the next Sabbath, though they were gathered there, standing room only, became a full-blown nightmare. It begins in verse 44. Um, they heard the word of the Lord, and verse 45, everything went south. Um, they were slandered. They were maligned. Because some Jews showed up that came from another city they had left, the apostles had left, and they found them. And they stirred up trouble, which is what they do in that day. And they slander them, they malign them, and they literally run them out of town. Look at verse 50. I'm paraphrasing a lot here. The Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. Incited? That's whisper. That's planting seeds of discord and all that goes with it. And they, they say, they gather a group of people, men and women, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them, not just from the building, from the region. Leave Oregon now. Someone would yell if all of that happened in this building. It wouldn't be just leave Tigard or this church. It's hit the trail, Jack. So, um, after shaking the dust off their feet, and we talked about what that looks like. Actually, it was a big piece of that message. Verse 51, they shake the dust off their feet as a warning to them, and they moved on from there to Iconium. 
And um, that place is 95 miles due east of where they were in, um, in this city. So um, I want you to imagine for a sec their dejection. They're, they're not there to raise money. They're not there to fleece anybody or hurt anybody. They're, they're there to help. They're actually there with a message that will transform lives, which is what every pulpit in any land should be about every Sunday. It's what I'm about. So, so they weren't there for bad reasons, but they're dejected. Imagine that. Abused for telling people the truth about Jesus. Really? I mean, we would say today, for real? How's that bad? Well, it's true, however, that they experience what I'm describing, this full range of, of emotion um, from those who really resented them for talking about this Jesus. Let's not forget that it's also true that Jesus had warned about stuff like that happening many years earlier when he sent his disciples out. Listen to these words that are at the beginning, the very first scattering where he said to all the followers, go out, tell them about me. And he gave them details in Matthew 10. Right in the middle of that, verse 22 reads, you will be, Jesus' words, you will be hated. <laughs> we have a missionary that left on Saturday, and uh, she's joining a group of others from our church, and she landed, her mom tells me, in Bucharest, Romania this morning, which means she's tired, okay? She's rocked, she's solid, prayed up, ready to go, okay? So, so she's, she's excited. I asked her, she happens to be my secretary and assistant, I said, hey, are you pumped? I mean, we're, we're praying you up. We're going to pray you through this. Your mom, Millie, all this cool stuff. And uh, she says, oh, yeah. Never once did she say, you know what? I know I'm going to be hated. I know they're going to drive me out of town before I'm ready to go. She didn't do that. I've been on many missions trips, and I did, didn't do that once. So back to the apostles this has already been warned by Jesus. You will be hated by many because of me. So when you are persecuted in one town, get a lawyer. That's uh, not a bad idea, actually, because we got a great one. But anyway, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was flee to the next town. That's the same passage he said, Dust off your feet and move on, bro. Time to go. Which is, in fact, what they've done here, okay? So, um, shaking their furious fists, I should add, at their haters. Really, Pastor? See, I'm catching you. I'm, I'm making sure you're staying awake. Would you... Um, would you look at verse 51? They shook the dust off their feet, but not their furious fists of defiance. Um, you might have expected that or assumed that. 
But the chapter ends, verse 52, you just can't even make this stuff up. And the disciples left town with their tails between their legs and moping along. No. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Because that's what we just did in worship. This team led us into joy that I thought, man, we're, this, is, this is it. They're filled with joy. How do you do that? The secret's revealed at the end of verse 52, the Holy Spirit. They hold the Holy Spirit. They, they moved on with a smile. And verse four, or chapter 14 begins, they arrive at Iconium. Fresh start, fresh faces, fresh uh, opportunities, new potential for fruit. However, the same thing happened again. What's that? Love and hate. Love where they probably would be tempted to stay for as long as possible. Who wouldn't? And then hate soon to follow. It's this cycle that happens if you're in ministry long enough. There will be days of love and there will be days of hate. There will be times of acceptance and times of rejection. There will be times of belief where people pour from their seats, cry out, Ask Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hand of an angry God, people fled into the streets saying, God, have mercy on my soul. And then there will be other times when just as good a sermon was preached. And this was the posture. Is that the best you got? So buckle up, here we go. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish uh, synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Is that cool? What a start. You're like, it pinch me, I'm living the dream moment. And then, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and graphic, poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas, the brothers, and there were others with them. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly. They didn't get shy. They didn't run away and hide and shake it in a corner. They spoke boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by powerful signs and wonders. He enabled them to perform them in front of the people. The people of the city were therefore d divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with Paul and Barnabas, the apostles. Verse 5, there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders. I can't hardly finish reading verse 5. It's just to mistreat them and stone them. If you didn't know better, you'd swear somebody took that from another place in the Bible and shoved it in here and went, ah, it'll work. But they found out, verse 6, they found out about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe, 
and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Wow. We're going to spend the rest of our few moments in Lystra. Derby next week, okay? Just so you know where we're heading. Um, here in Iconium, as usual, they went to the Jewish place of worship, uh, the synagogue. Uh, but did you notice what's missing? Two words are missing in verse 1. Everybody look at verse 1. The two words, I'm making this up, folks. I'm not adding to the Bible. Their smiles. Their smiles. As usual, they go into the synagogue. They spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. You expect it to be dot, 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 or a comma, and look at their smiles. Folks, if you're in ministry, show me your hand if you're in ministry. Nope. Keep showing. Keep showing. Keep showing. Oh, wow, we rehearsed this, didn't we? They're going up and up. A hundred percent of us are in ministry. All right, I've told you before, I get paid to be good. You know how the other side of that goes. No, here's the deal. We're all in ministry. We need to understand that. We're all in ministry. And if you're in ministry, then you can't read verse 1 without going, yes! You knock yourself out. I don't care what your gift is. And you have a gift. And if you don't know it or use it, you need to find it and do it. But you have a, you have a gift. And here's the deal. If you use that gift and you see what's at the end of verse 2, that word, people believed. You are, take me now, Jesus. I'm coming home. I have been fulfilled. I have seen the light. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. That's why I reminisce about moments. And I don't like that. I want the moments today. I do. And so do you. It's inspiring for you to hear about a, a, a missionary of yesteryear, uh, Jim Elliott. It's, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Who doesn't like the sound of that? Um, C.T. Studd, what a great name, right? He's the one that says some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, or some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, bells, but I want to run a rescue shop near the gates of hell. Bring it! I got nothing to lose, right? You say your life, so What? So they believed. And, and these people, just Paul and Barnabas, preaching, they spoke so powerfully that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Yet almost as fast as their smiles appeared, I'm inserting those two words. You getting me so far? Verse 1. Almost as fast as they appeared, sorrow returned. As they faced what could have become, if I read it right, an execution squad. 
of, of stone-throwing unbelievers. I think I would have left that day. Like, okay, fine. I've heard the, I've heard the dust off the feet thing. I'm out of here. So when it says, no, they kept on preaching. Um, they stood strong, actually, we're told here, for some time. That's a big deal. Performing miracles that, I've got to tell you something, it validated his mess, their message, right? Would you agree? They, they catched people's attention. They turned heads. Where's that miracle? I want to see. Let me in the front row. I want to check it out. Still, despite miracles, the crowd's response, verse 4 says, was mixed. The word divided. I find that shocking. It's probably evident in my tone. Don't you, though? They're working miracles. And then they pick up stones to kill them. That's a hard thing for me to reconcile. How could somebody witness a miracle? Verse 3 says so. How could somebody witness a miracle and not believe when they're told the person that did this miracle is Jesus? To me, that's a straight line. Isn't it for most people? I, maybe not. Apparently not. How come? I'm, I'm, I'm hearing an echo of Jesus' words in uh, Luke 16. Tells a parable about the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man lived it up in this life, cared not about God. Lazarus loved Jesus, but he was dirt poor. They both died. Lazarus went to, let's call it heaven. It, it's too complicated to get into the details, but it was called Abraham's bosom in that day, in Jesus' words. Rich man, not because he was rich, because he gave God the finger. that He didn't care bean dip about God. He wound up in hell. Luke 16, you got to read it. People go, oh, Jesus is not about hell. He told the story. And in telling the story, this rich man in hell is going, man, this is, this is awful. This is not the place to be. Tell you what, can you send me back and I'll warn my family. And he's, he's denied and denied and denied. Finally, he says, hey, send me back. So, you know, the, they, 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 they can't come here. This is the worst possible outcome. Hell is not good. And and Jesus' conclusion at that, even if somebody, because you're dead, you're in hell, came back from there, they wouldn't believe. I know you're making the connection. That very thing happened to Jesus, who died in front of everybody, was buried also in front of everyone. Rose again, visible to many. Read 1 Corinthians 15. And still people went, I don't buy it. And that continues to this day. 
That's, that's all Jesus' words. He's basically saying, Steve, don't be shocked. I know they've worked miracles. And I know the next thing you read is they wanted to, the crowd wanted to kill him, some of them. Philip Yancey, my favorite author, you've heard me mention him lots of times before, but he makes a great statement about miracles. Miracles gather a crowd. That's kind of self-evident, right? They, they gather a crowd but do very little to change lives. Apparently that's true from verses 3 and 4. So, um, miracles, but lives not so changed. So despite that, when this verse 5 murderous plot surfaces, the apostles pack up their bags, and there weren't many bags. Um, they had the clothes on their back, and they travel south, 25 miles to Lystra. I told you we would land there and in there. Uh, encountering, <laughs> you guessed it, more love and hate. I can capture this quickly, and it's worth staying with me because it rocks. It's so solid. Verse 7 picks up, and it's all about Lystra. Or verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth, had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, called out stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Everybody collectively in that gathering went, oh, right? When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language. Watch this now. It moves quickly. The gods have come down to us in human form. They watch what happened. And this man who never walked is now walking. Barnabas, they called Zeus, one of these gods. And Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. <laughs> I have to confess, first time I read Hermes, I read, my, my brain went herpes, and that's not good. But anyway, um, so back to the text. Uh, the priest of Zeus, verse 13, whose temple was just outside the city of Lystra, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices because they're gods, remember? Zeus and Hermes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? Look at us. We're human just like you. We're, we're bringing you good news and telling you to turn from these worthless things that you worship to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, look at verse 18. They had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now hold up. They did what they had always done. 
preached uh, the good news that Jesus came to seek and save sinners, Luke 19.10. They did that here in Lystra and everywhere else they go. While preaching, this crippled man who had never walked sat listening to Paul's presentation and uh, we're told had faith. Interesting way to put it, had faith and was healed. Some of you have been part of this series called uh, In Step with the Spirit um, from the beginning. You'll, your, your brain's going back. Didn't we cover this once before? Close. Chapter 3 was when Peter was at the temple, and he encountered a lame man. We're told he was a lame beggar who sat at the entrance of the uh, temple in Jerusalem. It's in chapter 3, so would you write that on the margin of your notes? Because it's worth looking at again and kind of taking in in a fresh way. Peter spoke in that day these memorable words from verse 6 of chapter 3. I don't have any. He was begging, remember, a lame beggar? And he, and he said, hey, alms, a little help. Can you hook a brother up? They, they were, they, he was asking that way. And the answer came from Peter. I don't have anything. He opens his pockets. They're empty. I've got nothing to give you in the way of silver or gold. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Amen? You can't hear that without going, man, I want to see that again. I want to. Um, so, um, here in chapter 14, Paul has a very similar experience, but he, there's an omission here. There's no mention of Jesus. He simply, we're told, saw that the man had faith to be healed and said, stand up on your feet. I'm, I'm just going to theorize. I think this is why what we're about to read went south. Why it didn't turn out so great. The crowd, though amazed at what they had witnessed, um, didn't worship the, worship the God of Israel the way the beggar did in Acts 3. Instead, they connected this miracle to two mythological gods, little g, in their past. It's a lore. It's a myth. It's a story passed down in their history. And these two gods, Zeus and Hermes, came to their town of Lystra, and they visited the people. Only the people gave them a cold shoulder. And... Um, only one couple, we're told, in this myth story showed some love. So Zeus and Hermes got ticked off, according to the lore, and smoked the city, sparing the one elderly couple. They happen to be an elderly couple. So the whole city dies because these people weren't hospitable. So... That story had been passed down for a very long time. And it was still alive. Sometimes lore crosses the line into fact in people's minds. And indeed it had here in Lystra. So on this day, the townspeople did what their lore demanded. If you knew that story and you grew up in Lystra, you would 
darn sure uh, uh, make a plan that if they ever returned again, because gods, they don't die, right? So if, if Zeus and Hermes ever come back again, I'm going to beat the path to show them some love. That was almost the demand um, of, their, of their lore. If those gods ever return, we're going to show it we're going to show it big time how much we venerate them. Um, and so they set out to do that very thing. Here they are. We're going to worship them. We're going to sacrifice to them. Um, we're going to bring bulls and all this stuff. And we're going we're to offer these things to them and show them... Um, Great love. Um, if you're Paul and Barnabas, you are absolutely horrified at what you're seeing. You're like, this is not, this didn't go well. And that's why we read they tore their clothes. It's a sign of great grief and distress. Not me, not me. I'm just like you. There's nothing special in me. I'm just a man. And then they give the shortest crash course in theology in verses 15, uh, 17 and 18. And even verse 18, if you'll stop there for just a sec, their efforts to say, no, 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 we're just human. They barely succeeded in restraining the crowd from sacrificing to them. This is a great moment for just a quick pause to ask you, um, how do you handle people's praise? How do you handle it when people go, you're a big deal? Um, maybe you're one like them that tears your clothes. I'm not. Trust me, I'm not. I stumble, I fall. Just stick around me long enough and he'll give you plenty of reason to agree with my self-assessment. Right? Um, some do tear their clothes, but some, I'm not going to name names. I'm going to tell you what I see in my world. Athletes, politicians, singers, Performers, pastors, drink it up. They take in the praise and expect more. How much more tempting if you're Paul and Barnabas? You're kind of you're, I don't know, you're all-stars, aren't you? They would hate that. But I look at them like you do. I read my Bible and go, whoa, not sure what water they drink, but they're legit. Um, and I truly believe uh, a lot of people, even though, like the apostles, know James 4, 6, God gives a greater grace, therefore, 
It is written, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. People wave that off. So how do you handle the praise of people? This is what the Lord says in Jeremiah chapter 9. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom. If you're smarter than the rest of us, keep it to yourself. Don't, you know, it's great. Share your intellect. But don't share it like we somehow have to sit at your feet. Let me stick with the text. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this. Hopefully you're on the edge of your seat if you don't know these words. That they have the understanding to know me like we sang, to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in those things I delight, says the Lord. Amen? So good. I want to um, share words from a professor I haven't met, but I think he's a wise guy. His name's Tom Constable from Dallas Seminary, he said this, if Satan cannot derail Christian witness with persecution, he will try praise. Too much persecution has destroyed many people. And too much praise has ruined many others. One of the problems with miracles is that they often draw more attention to the miracle worker than to the living God. It was clear from the reaction of Paul and Barnabas to the praise of Lystra's people that they would, would not for a moment be destroyed by pride. No way, no how. Um, so... You've probably heard the expression, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> That's like, I don't know, um, satire, I guess. But it's true here, and let me, the, the section finishes in verses 19 and 20. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Those are places that they chased out the apostles before coming to Lystra. And they won the crowd over. And notice this time, they didn't just pick up rocks. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. I got a whole other sermon and a half about that. Read 2 Corinthians 11, chapter. It's not in your notes. Read it. And you'll see this isn't the first or last time he was stoned. Not like Portland stoned. I'm talking stoned. I, I, I repent. That was a cheap shot he was stoned and when you're drug out of the city thought to be dead it was not a simple rock fight this is he looks dead to me looks dead to you a lot of blood there hasn't moved in a while just after the disciples gathered around him I love this you jump out of your skin he got up 
I don't know if he was playing possum or what. He, he got up and went back into the city. Hi. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Imagine that. Praised as God's days earlier. And on a dime, on a dime, the same crowd sought to kill the spokesman, the Apostle Paul. Y'all, it hardly needs to be said the same thing we just read about with, with Paul and Barnabas happened to Jesus. The crowds lined the way as he made his way into Jerusalem. Hosanna! Hosanna, they shouted, which means, oh, save us! Save us! And one Sabbath later, crucify him. Truly, the ultimate example of love and hate. I'd like you to bow your heads with me this morning. Despite extremes that I've tried to capture for you in a kind of a soulful way, um, the mission went on. They left for Derby. We'll meet up with them again next week. Uh, because they were on a mission to tell people about the God of miracles, Jesus Christ. He's worth talking about. And can I tell you personally, I started with personal reality check. That's my passion. To tell people about Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle of all. I talk about miracles. And the most amazing miracle of all is how Jesus died for people's sins and rose again. It doesn't, you can't even compare to that. And as a result of that, I, I get to personalize it and say, and I've had my sins forgiven and I've been born again because I turned to him and repented. And he came into my life. Can you think? Can you think of a greater miracle or, or greater mission for your life than to tell about that miracle? Lord, we come to you now, tender in our hearts, in awe of what we've read, and at a very profound level, we relate to it. We've had the, the victory and the defeat. We've had the people believed, and then they scoffed. We're living that right now. So thank you for the truth that you've given us. Help us to be as courageous as Paul and Barnabas, not of their own making, but because they were on point and on mission for you. I need to ask you, if you're in the house today, if you're listening and watching far away, have you repented of your sins? Because Jesus died and rose again for you. It's the only way it will become personal for you. Is if you see he died not because of something he did, 
but he died for you, for me. And if you believe that, if you, if, you, if you say, yeah, I think that happened, then have you repented of the sins for which he went to the cross? If you haven't, do it right now and be born again. Thank you, God. Thank you for the miracles that we've witnessed, for the results of seeing lives changed. And please, Holy Spirit, change more in our day, starting with me. In Jesus' name. I told you there's a surprise today at the end of this service, and I'm going to invite them up right now. Um, They come as a couple, Mark and Valerie Kendrick. Um, I think only the Browers know them personally. Valerie, come take my hand. I'll help you up the steps. Not that you need it, but they get tricky sometimes. So welcome. And Mark? Thank you. Got you, brother. (laughs) Yep, Mark as well. Uh, These are the Kendricks. And I'll have you, I'll tell you what, I'll stand on this side. There we go. And I think your microphone's on. I think it is. It is. It's perfect. So um, a year ago, Mark was very sick. I had never met them. uh, And I confessed to them this morning. Welcome, by the way. They're from the Dalles, Oregon, which is about an hour from here. A little more than that, east of here in the gorge. They're from there, but we, we learned of a desperate need in their lives. We did what we still do, and I've always done as a church. We dropped what we're doing, and we prayed for Mark and uh, in, in, in particular. But, boy, did we hold you up too, Valerie. It was, it was uh, I happen to have been in, uh, in very focused on Debbie and still am in her fight with leukemia. Hi, honey. And, and, and so I prayed from a distance, but I knew at the same time we were praying passionately. And um, your, your condition, I learned, was, had become very dire. And um, October 26th of last year uh, took a dramatic turn. And I don't know if I got the date right, but tell us in a sort of a succinct way. The preacher went long today. so. Um, <laughs> but if you could you know, capture for us, because we're people that are still committed to praying and it's not every day we get to actually meet people that we didn't know. You're not in our church, but you really are in our hearts. So welcome and tell us a little bit of your story, if you would. Well, I'll start a little bit. Um, I don't get to tell much of the story because I don't remember a whole lot of it in the condition I was in. Um, but um, first of all, yeah, so thank you so so much from the bottom of our hearts for, um, for praying for us. Um, and also just, uh, I think for our journey, the first thing, one way thing we've really taken over, away from it. It's just the amazing specialness, I guess you would say, of the family of God. Um, that truly, we don't have to have met each other. We don't have to know each other to be able to pray for each other. And um, yeah, I was in pretty dire straits. So uh, I will begin the story. Basically, we were in Glacier National Park uh, in uh, with our daughter and son-in-law and our two granddaughters. And uh, that is where we all uh, managed to come down with COVID, so that wonderful mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. So that's where our journey will start, and I'll hand it off to Valerie. Okay, I'll go as quickly as I can. Um, we were just at home and um, just taking, you know, convalescing there, 
everything seemed to be going well. And then on um, August 19th, in the wee hours of the morning, things just really tanked uh, for Mark. So we took him up to the hospital, and um, it was about 4.30 in the morning. By 7 p.m. that night, he was on a ventilator, and the next day was life flighted to uh, Providence, Portland in ICU. One of the things um, I had, since I had COVID, I couldn't be with him, and one of the things that um, we did was call on um, local folks there, um, and we had a really, really good friend that is close to our family that was an RN, and she was in ER, and even though she wasn't in our biological family, again, she was in the family of God, mm -hmm. and God worked it out where she could go, and she could hold his hand. She, of course, had to get all garbed up and everything, but she was able to hold his hand and pray with him, and our, uh, Mark, one of Mark's sisters, he has three older sisters, but one of them had recently had COVID and recovered, so they, and she's a retired RN from, in fact, that same hospital many years she worked there, so they let her in, and um, so before, when we found out that he was going to get life flighted, um, she, um, we, we felt it important to, again, pray with him and anoint him with oil, but she didn't have any oil. All she had was hand sanitizer. <laughs> so of that. she um, anointed him with hand sanitizer, believing that if Jesus can turn water into wine, yeah, that's right. he can turn hand sanitizer into oil, right? And so we have um, a lot of leftover hand sanitizer <laughs> if you guys want some. So you know, keep that keep that in mind. Um, I wasn't able to see him for over six weeks, which was incredibly grueling, and I really appreciate your prayers because we've been married for now 39 years at that point, 38, and that was really grueling. Um, I just want to read really quick. James 5, 13 through 16 says, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church. And this isn't church little. This is church big. This is body of Christ. And you guys were part of that. Pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the... And, um, uh, sorry, I get so misty when I'm thinking about all of these things. Uh, it's hard to stop the tears. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that he may be healed. The prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. So this was obviously, as your pastor said, a very desperate trial in our life. We were not given a lot of hope. And as the days went on, he was in the hospital a total of, I think, 82, 83 days, something like that. And so as time went on, it got even more, um, uh, less, less hope offered from the medical profession. So we were praying for three main things, his healing, obviously, and that he would have no memory of all the bad things that were happening, and somehow that he would have sweet communion with God. That was kind of our main, as family members, our main three prayers. And, you know, as we continue reading in this verse, it talks about Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly, and let me tell you, <laughs> I was praying earnestly, and many, many of you were, and many people in our lives were. And there's no right or wrong way to pray, in my view, just to pray earnestly. God sees our hearts. 
So we, you know, I used all the spiritual disciplines of scripture reading and listening to worship and being with other believers and praying together corporately, praying alone. And um, I prayed with Mark over the phone each night and used the iPad to be able to see him and to encourage him with the cards and letters and people that had reached out. And so there was so much practical support from the family of God in our local church and all around. Um, but basically what I was told on a daily basis, and it just got worse and worse. I mean, we were in a situation where his kidneys had failed. He was on continuous dialysis. Um, he had lung issues. There was supposed to be some fungus ball in his lungs. He was on the ventilator. He had long-term sedation. He ended up with a stomach ulcer that was bleeding profusely and went through almost as much blood as he had in transfusions, um, or we all have in our body, high fevers. I was urged repeatedly to put him on comfort care and let him go. Hmm. And um, so, I mean, when I say dire, it was, it was really, really dire. Um, and the frightening outcomes that if he lived, he would not be mentally normal. Um, if he lived, he would probably be in an institution. If he lived, his kidneys wouldn't recover, which if you're in the medical profession, you know that that actually is a true statement, that your kidneys don't just come back to functioning, that his lungs would never recover, and it probably he wouldn't be able to do prior things. Just like your piano player here, who's played for years and years, he's played over 30 years at our church, and... Um, sings with the praise band on a regular basis and this is our one Sunday that we don't do it <laughs> and so that's why we're here um, I needed to pray for wisdom at that moment and as things continued because they would just you know give us I, I kept saying we are a strong family of faith and there's tons of people praying um, there's an army of people praying of which you guys were participants but um, I don't believe, and I just got more and more bold in my faith, where I just said, I understand everything that you just told me, and it, I'm not in denial, and the reason I'm telling you that is because the next statement that I make, you're going to think I'm in denial, but I am going to make a faith statement, and I am going to say that I believe that all of those horrible things that you just said are going to be the outcome for my husband are not going to come to pass. And I just let them know that we were praying for them as part of his medical team, for strength, for energy, for wisdom for them. And um, in James 1 through 5, it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. And I was praying for wisdom throughout all of this journey on decisions to be made because it fell on my shoulders and on our adult children. God was so faithful in rising up people that could give us that information that we needed. And here's the thing, the great thing about prayer. Prayer changes us. I got more and more bold. God is sovereign. It's not a magic formula as we know. During this time, here my husband's in the hospital with COVID and I'm praying for him earnestly. I'm praying for my brother earnestly, who, by the way, I had prayed for for over 50 years for his salvation. 
he was in the hospital with COVID. He did rededicate his life to the Lord. Which was an answer to prayer for over 50 mm -hmm. years. It really struck a chord with me when you were talking about that earlier today. So I want to encourage you. If you have people that you've been praying for for a long time. Don't give up. Amen. The Lord took him to heaven. Mm -hmm. And I know I'll get to see him. But losing my brother. When my husband's life was hanging in the balance. This happened on September 17th. was really hard. So God is sovereign, and we submit to his ways. But as I declared my faith, people really respected that and listened. They just listened, and the Lord just continued to. This wasn't like the story that we heard, you know, this morning where Paul says, get up and walk. I prayed for that. I wanted that really mm -hmm. bad. I wanted to one day have the phone call be, so many things have changed. It's a miracle, you know, that the medical profession would actually just tell me that. That didn't happen. Mark's recovery has been slow and steady, but that does not mean that God hasn't done miracle after miracle. He healed his kidneys. We started with... <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious or anything, but when we <laughs> first had the production of the kidneys, which is obviously urine, it was a really small amount, and it was dark in color because of his dialysis. So we were praying for two things. More, as in, you know, Elijah seeing the cloud, right? That's the, as big as a man's <laughs> fist. I was, I told my Christian friends, he went 20 cc's one day and it was dark in color. And the kidney doctor said, you have to have over, about, you know, we want to see 2,000. I'm like, okay, that's 10%. We are going to pray for the rain, <laughs> which wasn't rain, but we're going to pray for the rain and we're going to pray for yellow. And... <laughs> Which didn't used to be my favorite color, but now it is. So um, God just kept doing that day after day after day and more and more and more until he had less and less dialysis. And he has been completely off dialysis since. Yes, praise God. Yeah. So we were also urged, and you know, then it was, he was off the ventilator, he was off all of these things. Get the trach out, get this and that. I mean, every day he was less and less encumbered with all of these medical things. And God just started doing a work to where people from the hospital would come and say, I, I'm not supposed to be in here. You're not on my caseload today, but I just had to come by because I saw you when you were so sick and I just wanted to see you. Mm. And then his main kidney doctor, she walked in. I don't know if she's a believer or not, but I, that doesn't stop us. We just kind of say what, sure. you know, we want to say to people and just pray that God touches their hearts. And so she walked in, and he had not only been able to go to the bathroom, but he was able to, he, he had to have a procedure that he needed to leave the room. And he says, well, hand me the urinal. I think I need to go before I go for this procedure. So going is different than going on demand. That's like a different function level. So when she came through the door, I said, you're not going to believe what happened. And she turned to me and said, 
when I walk into this room, I'll believe anything. So he was having a witness even before we left the hospital. We left the hospital. He wasn't able to walk. He had every muscle had atrophied. His voice wasn't the same. We didn't know if he'd be able to play the piano again. We didn't know if he'd be able to sing praise again. We didn't know if he'd have his normal talking voice. We didn't, you know, we were believing in faith that he could walk again and all of those things. He is still on a path of recovery, but we went home, straight home, not to a facility or anything, straight home with supports on November 8th. Praise God. Wow. Wow. And I just want to thank you for your prayers. I want to um, let you know where he's at. We're still dealing with some um, neuropathy in his feet, which is painful. Um, we're still dealing with some drop foot. And because of his high fever, um, he lost the hearing in his right ear. But we are still praying about all of those things. I don't know if God will completely you know, heal every single one of those. We've had so many miracles already. But here's the thing. In following scripture, God just tells us to pray. So we continue to pray for those things. But I wanted to just, you know, Mark and I were talking as we were driving here. The biggest thing we want to do is really twofold. We want to thank you for partnering with us in the family of God. And we also just passionately want to encourage you in the Lord. For whatever you're praying about, we're not having a guarantee the outcome, but follow scripture. And we want to encourage you that God is still in the miracle business. Amen. And he will be with you in the difficult journey. It's been a really hard year for us, mm -hmm. even continuing. But God is with us. We feel his presence. We see him. And we, in a small community like the Dalles, we have opportunity weekly to share our God story with other people. People have had comments like one one lady just about fell over when she saw him she's like I heard you were dead and <laughs> so you know he was a public school teacher for music so he touched lives of all the children in the gorge teaching at different schools for 35 years and he'd retired the June before and so so many people know him and know of us through our jobs and through our service at our local church that um, we get an opportunity to tell this God story to believers and non-believers every single week. And so it's an exciting journey that we've been on. And thank you for having us here, too. And hopefully it encourages you. Sure. And you're doing that this morning. You're telling us and many others that aren't in the room but are staying with us. Um, I wonder, because you used these words and they frame it well for me. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, sovereign Lord. Creator of heaven and earth, so he's all-wise, sovereign. He's all-powerful. He made the world. By, um, nothing is too difficult for you is how the verse concludes. And I, I, we're hearing that from you. And um, I wonder if one of you would pray us out right now. So I don't know if that's, would you do that? And then um, if you want to talk to them more, are you just hopping in the car to leave or... Go next door to, we have a cafe, and we'd love to have you just visit casually with whoever wants to know more. Would you lead us in prayer? Let's stand together, folks, and um, be dismissed. Thank you for, uh, I love the part of what we wanted today, 
and you've done such a great job of capturing it for us, Valerie, is we pray a lot. Raise your hand if you pray for people and you've never met them, have no idea what the story. Well, now you can say, I know one. And this was very helpful for me personally. So thank you. Lead us in prayer, would you? All right. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you created us in community as a family of God. We are grateful that we have this opportunity to be together and encourage one another. Go with us now. You know each need and each heart. Meet that need, Lord, we pray. We commit everyone here and their needs into your hands with confidence that by the power and blood of Jesus Christ, you will be with us and you will meet each and every need. Go with us now. Bless this people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, everyone. God bless you all. You're dismissed, and thank you, Valerie and Mark.